Matthew 14, beginning at verse 22, we'll be reading to the end of the chapter. No, not quite to the end of the chapter, through verse 33. This is God's holy and infallible word. Immediately, and this is after the feeding of the 5,000, which we read last week with Pastor Matthew, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. One of the big themes in these miracles in Matthew has been the theme of faith. And we've seen together very strong faith, often from totally unexpected people, like the ruler whose daughter died, the bleeding woman, the friends of the paralytic, the two blind men, and the centurion who said, just say the word, Jesus, and my servant will be healed. We've seen wavering faith or little faith as well, primarily in Jesus' disciples. But overall, we get a picture as the gospel goes on and as the miracles move forward in the gospel of Matthew, we get a picture overall of Jesus' disciples growing in faith, bit by bit, taking steps forward. Even if those steps are often baby steps, and even if they often seem really slow in their progress, And even sometimes, though, they take these embarrassing steps backward, it seems, in faith. Like us, they show this mixture between a strong faith sometimes and a weak, faltering faith at other times. Of course, this passage and this theme of faith meets us as a church after a rough week, right? For the Weiringa family saying goodbye to a dad, a husband, a brother. And that affects all of us, our whole church family, as we say goodbye once again to a dedicated churchman, a hardworking, loving servant in our midst, 
Bob Weiringa. What do you do when faith seems to let you down? That's the question for today. What do we do as we go through another struggle like this together as a church family? And we can wonder, and I know it's not just our thinking because I've talked about it with many people, we wonder what is God doing to us? Why? I feel like there's some ways that this miracle can show us what to do and, and how to respond in these times, in a, in a day, uh, a week like this. A few thoughts as we move. We're going to kind of move from the beginning of the miracle right to the end. Um, first of all, remember that Jesus is praying for you. After the feeding of the 5,000, like I said before we read, Jesus has the disciples get in a boat and to cross the Sea of Galilee. And you remember from chapter 8 and the calming of the storm that that sea is, is 13 miles long, 7.5 miles wide, almost 700 feet below sea level. And how those, the steep hills on either side create like a wind tunnel effect, causing strong winds and fierce storms to rise up very, very quickly over the waters. The boat was far from land and being struck by waves and the wind. And it's the middle of the night. It's a gloomy, scary scene out there on the Sea of Galilee. But if we look, there's more going on than the disciples in the boat. And it's something the disciples didn't realize as they were being tossed about. Did you catch that? Jesus is praying on the mountainside. And we know he was often in prayer uh, for himself, for his disciples, for all Christians. Matthew wrote down this miracle, of course, after witnessing with the other disciples, Jesus ascending into heaven, uh, where the Bible tells us he now rules over all things and where he intercedes for his people. He's praying there in heaven for you and me. And it's almost like a picture of Jesus' ascension up there on the mountain praying and, you know, the Bible refers to heaven as a mountain sometimes, Mount Zion. And just as he prayed for the disciples, frightened as the winds and waves were bashing against them, he prays for us too in our storms. And so we can see from our perspective that the disciples were perfectly safe and they were being perfectly watched over the whole time by Jesus on the mountain. And Jesus from heaven, likewise, is interceding for us and watching over us all the time from up there on Mount Zion. 
And, and so I, I feel like we're called to remember that. What a comfort. What a blessing. Something else to remember, and that's that the Spirit of Christ comes to you. Jesus is going to do more than pray for them, right? As the miracle in this passage goes on, we see he decides to go out on the water to be present with those frightened friends of his. It's during the fourth watch of the night, and that's between like 3 and 6 a.m., Jesus decides to go to them, walking on the lake. He sent them out probably early evening, so they would have been in these rough waters for seven, eight, nine hours. And of course, during that whole time, Jesus was praying as well. We knew from chapter 8 that he could still a storm But this nature miracle, and he does at the end of the passage, but this nature miracle is a little different. Jesus can also use and form the elements of nature however he pleases. So he walks on the water to be with his disciples. The disciples see him walking on the lake. How they did in the middle of the night, it was either because the moon was shining through the clouds or maybe there was like pre-dawn light already. And it's almost, it's almost funny that they were this terrified. They thought there was a ghost. They cried out in fear. Literally, they screamed. It's kind of funny, but kind of not. And I think it's a sign of, of very weak faith in the midst of the storm there. Rather than expecting Jesus to save them or come to them in their situation, they expect a ghost. Rather than looking for Jesus in their great need, they revert to like superstition. They imagine something that's not even a real thing. A ghost isn't real, boys and girls. There's no such thing as a ghost. They imagine something that's not even real rather than expecting that Jesus could be coming to them. And also, in our unpleasant situations, we can chalk it up to chance. We can be crying out in fear any number of things, rather than looking for Jesus in our situation. That's a mistake because, of course, Jesus comes to us in our terrible times through his Spirit, especially in our day. And Matthew would know that too. He had experienced Pentecost before he wrote down what he did in the Gospel. He knew how after Jesus ascended into heaven, He sent his spirit to be with us in a very special way. And Jesus, coming to them, immediately speaks to them in their fear. Take courage. It is I. And it is I is really that special name of God that the Bible uses, that's sometimes translated, I am. And Jesus can use that name because he is fully God. 
And so remember that the Spirit of Christ comes to you today, and that he especially comes to you in his word. His word brings comfort. He says here, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. They say that the Bible says, do not be afraid or fear not, or some version of that, 365 times, enough for us for every day of the year. Peter, the disciple who was more often super bold and impulsive, shows this great faith after hearing Jesus' words. If it's you, he says, tell me to come out to you on the water. It's interesting. He's not so impulsive that he just jumps out of the boat. He knows that he needs Jesus' permission He knows enough to know that he needs Jesus' help to do this. Jesus says, come, and Peter does. We're not sure how far Peter gets, but we read, right, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. He takes his eyes off of Jesus, in other words, and focuses on the wind and the waves, and then Jesus talks about Peter's little faith. Why did you doubt, he says. That sinking of Peter is something that we experience as God's children too in our life of faith. And it could be that you say, hey, I know and I believe that Jesus is praying for me. I know and I believe His Word with all my heart. And I know His Spirit is in my heart helping me. But Lord, I'm sinking. Even when we've taken the step of faith, even though we've gotten out of the boat, we can be obeying Jesus in our lives but yet we sink. We ask, God, why are there more uh, tears in my life than joy? Why are there more valleys and rough passages uh, than mountaintops? How come, God, my faith doesn't seem to be sustaining me? It's exactly when we're at that point, basically at our wit's end, that you know what? Jesus loves to extend his hand to his children. And that's what he does for Peter. It's interesting that he does that. He certainly didn't have to. All he had to do was say a word and Peter would rise up out of the water. But the fact is, I don't think he wants to just show Peter how powerful he is, but he also wants to show Peter his compassion and his care and his deep, deep love for his sinking child. And so he lovingly extends his hand. When we're sinking, he loves to hold us, to save us, to reach out his hand to us. 
right there at that point of total inability in our lives. He won't let you go under. Spurgeon says, Peter was nearer his Lord when he was sinking than when he was walking. For us, too, when we're in trouble, we're driven to Jesus. And we call out his name. And he just loves to reach out his hand to his little ones who understand how much they need him and how much he loves them. There's something more about Peter. We know he's bold, he's impulsive, but, but if you, you read the, the sweep of the, the Gospels and the stuff about Peter, you also begin to see that he represents the other disciples. He's sort of the leader of the other disciples, and as the leader, represents them. Where he goes, they go. And Peter does that often as a representative of the disciples, and it, it, the disciples would go on to build the church. So he's often representing us, too, the church. Soon Peter, it's in chapter 16, will make that great confession of faith and say to Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, which would become the confession of all the disciples. And Jesus said, on that rock, in other words, on that confession, I will build my church. And so this miracle is for the church too, through Peter representing us. And as time went on in the early church and in the lives of the disciples who had become the apostles sent out to plant churches, the disciples would remember as Rome started viciously persecuting God's people, they would remember this miracle and conclude, even in those terrible struggles, well, we know Jesus is not going to let us go under. And in the church today, we can feel like we're sinking in that morass of unbelief in our culture and we know the Bible says we will suffer for Jesus. We know the Bible says there will be spiritual warfare, attacks from Satan, temptations, discouragement. And yet, when those things happen to the church that Jesus says will happen, when they happen to us as a church, to us individually, our loved ones, it's incredible how quickly we get totally puzzled and we lose heart. Our faith so easily gets rocked, even though Jesus has told us, this is how life is going to be until I return. But this text tells us that Jesus won't let us sink. He won't let you sink. And that's overwhelming to think about when we know how tough life can be. And it makes you just drop to your knees with tears of thankfulness and joy that he loves you and he loves us and he loves our church that much. And all of this leads to worship him and profess his name. 
the ending of the passage in verse 33, it's the first time in Matthew that the disciples are said to worship Jesus and, and call him the Son of God. So in this miracle, this powerful miracle in a special way, we're seeing how the disciples somehow are starting to get it. They're growing in faith. And I pray that that's true of each one of us too, that we're starting to get it in our lives and wake up to who Jesus is and wake up and experience his love and care for us. Of course, it's going to be demonstrated in an amazing way in his suffering and death as our Lord heads to the cross for his people. We're going to remember and celebrate the extent of his love for all of us of little faith in the Lord's Supper soon. And really, when you think about it, this worship, this profession, only those who have felt like their faith has let them down can know the true sweetness and joy that there is when Jesus lifts you out of that. And then, for those who have experienced the storms and Jesus not letting them sink, those are the people where worship just pours out and the profession of Jesus' name in our homes, in the church, and wherever we go. And so, I feel like there's a a message for us today in this miracle. When it feels like we're sinking, remember that Jesus is the Son of God who prays for us, who comes to us today in a special way through His Spirit, through His Word, and He reaches out His hand uh, to pull you and me out of our sin, to help us in our grief, in our doubting, in our questions, and so I invite you to take his hand today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as you helped Peter when he was sinking, even though he had faith and and he believed you, but Lord, he took his eyes off of you. And and we do that too, more often than we care to admit. I pray, Lord, uh, that, that we would grab your hand. Thank you that right at that point of sinking, of being at our wit's end, of having questions and doubting, that right at that point, Lord, you, you pick us up, you pull us up out of the waters, And uh, you hold us and you never let us go. As we experience that kind of love, that kind of care, may our lives overflow with worship. Lord, even even when sometimes our worship is through tears and it can be a little muted, but we know you won't let us go. And help us to profess your name in our hearts, in the church, in our homes, in your world, uh, so that 
uh, many, Lord, might turn to you and might experience your salvation in their and our great need. In your name we pray, amen.